This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 205, Ministry. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in this week. Ministry is service, pure and simple, and I have two ministers joining me this week to describe how it works. Ryan Joy, co-host of the Bible Geeks podcast, ministers to the Church of Christ in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Scott Taylor is a preacher and shepherd for the West Mason Church of Christ in the Cincinnati area. He co-hosts the You Are From God podcast. In part one, we discuss what ministry looks like in the local church. I don't know what version of the Bible my guests typically read. But I like the way the New American Standard Bible phrases Ephesians 4.12. The job of leadership in the church is said to be, quote, the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, end quote. We build up the church by building up individual Christians, particularly their ability and willingness to serve. When each member is strong, the body is strong. What does the work of service look like and how can we equip our brethren for it? Yeah, it's amazing how much that passage really frames all of the work of the church as a collaborative process. I mean, it really is emphasizing how we all all work together and that, you know, in the same way that a, a coach's success is measured by a team's performance, the work of an evangelist or a shepherd or a teacher, like that of a, apostles and prophets, it isn't about us. It is about those we serve. Our job is to prepare and empower saints to serve. All our work is people work. I mean, that's really the churches where everything that we do in the church, even the stuff we do prepping the building or anything else we do is really people work. It's about what is its effect on the body, on the saints, and on those we're trying to bring into the body as we build it up. Like Peter talks about, we're building out of living stones, And so we're building a living building and we have to keep our attention on the people. Yeah, I think the most fascinating part of this is that if we're striving to be like Christ, he's the ultimate example of what it means to serve and what that looks like. And so, you know, we happen to be studying Mark right now in the auditorium class where I am. And it's amazing to see the service on just every page of the Gospels, obviously, as you guys know, and and then try to pretend like we're better than that. We're never going to do something like that. It's just so odd when we're trying to be these Christ-like people, which means we're going to obviously serve. But that's what happens. You think about 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where you have the division that's going on because of spiritual gifts in the church. And even with spiritual gifts, they had made it into some selfish issue where they were going to divide themselves over something. And in the middle of that, he says, you got to love one another. You can have these gifts. If you get rid of love, it's it's over. For us, sometimes as leaders, as the opportunity that we have to preach, one of the things that we need to be mindful of is sometimes just going back to the heart of the actual issue, you know, and really getting into the heart of the problem rather than you need to do this, you need to do that. I'm I'm going to show them by being a leader and, and being like my savior. That's what I love about the context of Ephesians 4. I mean, the whole thing is about this unity that you see with with God, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be seen in his people. And that's only seen if we walk like Christ, and that starts with the leadership. Yeah, Ephesians 4 and 5 both start with that picture of unity based on imitating God's love. And so we have these bookends of 
kind heartedness and forgiveness and patience and gentleness. And if you think about what does it take to work together well, I mean, he's describing those attributes. It's Ephesians 4 is really like you could take it in a way and put it into any organization and say, here is how there is, there is a guidebook to not only unity, but success in partnering with each other to accomplish something great in this chapter. And it, it starts with the each one having grace given to accomplish their success in verse 7, and then verse 16, each part working properly to build itself up. And so where we might sometimes kind of isolate these functionaries or, or these roles, uh, the, the shepherds or a preacher, an evangelist might seem like a solo act. It's really a part of a whole that is kind of supporting and holding up, almost constantly replacing ourselves and equipping everybody else to be sufficient to do all of the work that needs to be done. Ephesians 4, and obviously um, that's the context we're looking at. I, I just love how it it flows with this point. Uh, verse one tells us that we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Uh, verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And obviously it continues on. And then the verse that we started off with in verse 12, there's a purpose to what we are doing. And I love the idea in First Corinthians 14, where it's not about, yes, we're many individuals or many members, but there's just the one body. And if the goal is for that body to be what it's supposed to be, then we're going to do our our part. The problem obviously is from a leadership standpoint, if we're more of just wanting to wave in a parade or dictate or, or you know, whatever the reason is why somebody's in that position, rather than what for the true purpose of that position is. And you follow Ephesians 4, 13 through 16. It's just this building up of love. It's the continual desire to be like our Savior. If we would just spend time on that, we wouldn't have time for all the other nonsense. You know, Mark, the uh, 10th chapter is where Jesus tells them that he's going to die. And then right after that is where James and John are talking about, hey, can I sit on your right or left? You know, it's just amazing how often we can miss the point of what is being said. And you see that throughout mankind. That's what we do. And so we have to be, if we become aware of that, hopefully it causes us to equip ourselves correctly. And then we can go out and help other people do the same. Well, it's interesting. That's twice you brought up Mark, you know, and Jesus' example of training his disciples to come to him, I think is example A of how this whole process works, right? You have these disparate individuals who don't really have a whole lot in common with one another, at least many of them don't, and they are called into this common goal, this common objective that has nothing to do with the individuals other than their own participation in it. And they have to press down their own preconceived notions, their own preferences, their own biases, and pursue something bigger than themselves. And it's not a natural thing. It's not an easy thing. They don't get it right on day one or year one. But with the help of the Spirit, ultimately they come to where they need to be. And that's really kind of our process, isn't it? As we are subjecting ourselves to Jesus, as we're subjecting ourselves to local leadership, we're trying to become something more than the sum of our parts. And we're not going to do that on our own. The only way we can do that is to allow the greater reality to take over and have that be the rule of our life and the rule of our cooperation. I appreciate how both of you are bringing this picture back to the simplicity of 
purpose and of the true kind of foundational reality of our life, which is God's love for us, which is that relationship we're trying to draw others into with him and the love that we share with one another, that relationship with God reflecting out into a relationship with others is the basis of the priesthood, really. Uh, when I think of this, the idea of service, I think of how we are all as saints, the priesthood that is representing God to the world, representing the world to God, that is coming before God in prayer on behalf of the world, but also coming to each other and to those outside of the body, bringing the blessing of God, bringing his peace, bringing his love, trying to, in every way we know how, bring service to them, but especially to point them to the thing that will give them the most peace and grace eternally. I think, how you said something that's important. I mean, you think about what Jesus brings to this table. It's hard to argue these verses. You think about Mark, the 10th chapter I was alluding to earlier in verse 45, it says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And as Ryan just said, you, you can't read these verses and come away with anything other than if I'm going to say that I'm a child of God, then I'm going to serve and I want to serve. That's the amazing thing about it. And Ryan, when you talk about priests and you think about Jesus as the high priest, I can't help but think from a illustration standpoint, if we tend to be like the priests in John 18, where they're talking to Jesus as he's been arrested and they're so upset with what he's doing and he's, he's smacked, you know, and you're smacking the high priest rather than trying to understand who he is, we're trying to take the power or we're trying to be the important ones like they were as priests. And I think you see this throughout the Old Testament as well. When when the priests have the wrong perspective, the wrong mindset, chaos comes. And as leaders, we have to make sure that we're first and foremost ourselves following the high priest, following Jesus and being the priest that we've been called to be. And then and then obviously understanding that there's growth for others and there's growth for us and and having that patience for people, but truly understanding what the purpose is to be Christ-like means you're going to be a servant and you're not going to spit in his face and smack him and, and you're going to act like him. The essence of leadership as Jesus presents it is to lower ourselves. It's easy to think of leaders as those who can wrangle people all into the same direction, you know, like they're forcing with their sheer power of personality or their boldness or something, just getting everybody in line to do what they have decided is the thing to do. And we see exactly the opposite in Christ and in the examples that he gives us of leadership. To be a shepherd is to lead in a very different way than we might think of as like a cowboy just directing the, the herd somewhere. You know, sheeps know the shepherd's voice. Sheeps follow. Sheeps are tended to and fed. And the shepherd is ready to lay down his life. Jesus you know, to change metaphors, Jesus washes our feet. Jesus lays himself down for us in every way as our servant. And that makes him the most qualified person to lead. Yeah, absolutely. I think John, the 10th chapter, to your point, as, as you were just talking about, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's one thing to tell the sheep where to go. As you're saying, it's nothing to lay down and be the door, to be the protection when the difficulty comes. I think of Romans, the 12th chapter, with this whole conversation as well, just verse 16, where he says, 
be of the same mind towards one another. Not, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And we certainly all know the dedicated service that we read in that chapter. And that's one of the hardest things. My favorite subject, as I say, Mason, my favorite subject is me. We like to talk about our favorite subject. And Jesus says, that's not going to be the case anymore. I'm going to be the priority. And and changing that takes time for sure. And you certainly see that with the apostles and, and the growth process. But it's something that we need to be striving for. And there comes patience with that. But there also comes with the idea that you need to be diligent in that growth. And that certainly is seen in our Savior and continuing to point people to Him. That's, the I think, the key from a preacher standpoint, just pointing people to Jesus. If you want to be like Him, this is what it looks like. When we're so focused on ourselves that we're we're thinking, even thinking important things like about our own walk with the Lord, but if we get stuck in those things, then we're just equipping ourselves constantly. But we have to take care of those things so that we can then invest in others, prioritize their needs, start to understand where each individual that we're working with is so that we can equip them, so that we can complete what's lacking in them, bring them the whole counsel of God as it affects them. That's what's so, when, when you just say that in verse 13 of Ephesians 4, when he says, to the fullness of Christ, Tyler Hall, the one I preached with just yesterday, was talking about how we can talk about the fullness of Christ, but it's hard to get full on Christ if we're full of ourselves. And I think that's the, the easy Twitter version of just saying what the issue is so often is we, we just kind of focus on ourselves. There's no room for Jesus anymore, even though we would like it to be. You know, that, that's the that's the problem is you have to be Christ like, become like him, not want to become like him. You have to strive to become like him. That can be the, the struggle. We might uh, spend a little bit of time talking about the other extreme, which is leadership that doesn't want to let go. And usually in my experience, it's been with good motives. It's not been because they were haughty or arrogant or they had absolutely no confidence in anybody else, but there is a style of leadership that says it'll be easier. It'll be quicker. It'll be cleaner. If I just do it myself, I know a lot of elders that lead that way. I chose very early on to not lead that way as a parent. If we're going to get the dishes washed, it'd be easier if Tracy and I did it. It would be better if the girls would do it. And when I say better, I'm talking about long-term. I'm not talking about whether we have enough time left in the evening to watch our show or play a game or something like that. I'm talking about training them for future life. That's our job as parents is to teach our children how to become adults, functioning, reliable adults. And that's not going to happen if all the tough stuff gets done by mom and dad. So we train them to do this job or that job or some other job, and it's messy and it takes a lot longer and it's annoying and sometimes patience runs thin. But I think an important part of leadership is being willing to be patient in these moments and allow people to make mistakes and allow them to grow and allow them to develop into the kind of people that they need to be in the future. If elders don't do that in the local church, if nobody learns how to clean the building, if no one knows how to set up a sign-up sheet, if no one learns how to do this, that, or the other, if the elders take care of everything, then what's going to happen when the elders pass on? Because that's the way it's going to happen. They're going to, the church is going to need leaders in the next generation. And if we haven't been training young men in their teens and twenties to serve as deacons in their thirties and forties or elders in their fifties and sixties, 
then what's going to happen to the church in the future? It's not about finding the most efficient way of doing things, the cleanest way, the prettiest way of doing things. It's about thinking long-term. Jesus would have picked very different disciples, I think, if he wanted the job to be done right on day one. He picked who he picked because they could be groomed into this role. And that's what leaders in the church need to be doing also. It really emphasizes the importance of mentoring, of walking alongside people. We do a lot of two-person teaching groups where there's two different levels of teachers teaching. It, it emphasizes having teams of people running something. If we can bring in multiple people into a group that's managing a ladies' Bible study or that's managing a vacation Bible school or whatever it is that you're doing and training new people on how we work together, how we get other people involved and helping everyone to find their gifts. But discipling people is about training. Equipping people is about training. We just had a class the first session of this year on preaching and teaching on how do you really develop a sermon from a passage to really getting to the heart of it and then finding ways to put it together at North, we have a constant rotation of people that we're bringing in to preach and constant rotation of people teaching different classes. You could have people who are the most experienced and most skilled doing everything, and there would be an increase in quality in some ways because you don't have those hiccups of learning, but you don't have all of the body working together. You don't have as many voices bringing their unique insight. Somebody might have influence with a particular group of young people or with these widows, and they're heard in a different way. There's just so many benefits from having a lot of people involved. You know, right now, we're go- I'm teaching a class on how to share the gospel. You know, some people, I think, view that as the evangelist's exclusive job. And that's certainly not the picture we see in the New Testament as they all go about preaching the word and confessing Christ and answering questions about who Jesus is. We can't stop at teaching doctrine about here's the right things to believe. We have to move past that into learning how to discern in difficult situations what's the right path to take. Paul famously says in 1 Timothy 3.16 that all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. If we just spend all of our time in teaching and reproof, but don't get to the training on how to practice these things, how to pray, how to be in a marriage, how to love one another, then we haven't done our full job in equipping people for every good work. You know, for me, um, I am an elder um, as well as the, as a preacher at West Mason. And it is something that the pandemic taught me personally. I have zero control over anything, even when I thought I had some control. As It's amazing when we're brought to our knees to truly understand where control lies and and what the purpose is. And I I think about Jesus, you know, when he comes down from the Mount Transfiguration, the disciples uh, that were not with him up on the mountain are in an argument and they're arguing about why they weren't able or the scribes are arguing with them that they couldn't uh, help this young man. And 
And Jesus will say, well, how long am I going to put up with this generation? To the point when the uh, children are coming to them or there's people that are yelling at them, they want to cast, they want to keep the children away or they want to call for lightning to come down and strike. And there are just so many different things that the disciples do. But Jesus allows them to take these steps and then he trains them. He talks to them. He shows them what they were missing. And, and it's if Jesus did it, obviously that's something that we need to do. I, but I think about you know Jethro and Moses. Jethro tells Moses, you can't do this. You can't do this alone. You have to allow people to help you. And so it's it's a benefit for the leaders, for the leadership to also to allow people to grow because you can't do it. You're going to be burnt out. It's not the responsibility for a preacher or an elder to do every single thing. It's just from a church standpoint, the practical piece of this is if we're a body and we're all members of this body, we all have to do our part. And whatever that is, the arm can't do everything. You're all important. We're all important. No matter if you're seen or not, um, we all have a role to do. And God sees all of it and he loves it. And the only way that the church is going to be at its best is when everybody's doing what they have been called to do. And and as a leader, that's our that's our responsibility to try to figure out what those different pieces are and then trying to train people and help people to do that. There's a quote that I've always liked. It's by, it comes from an unusual place from Lao Tzu, but it says, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, his aim fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves. <laughs> That's the body. It's been my experience that while I am trying to equip my brethren for the work of service, they're not especially interested oftentimes in being equipped. Like for instance, we are doing a, a men's training program right now where we're trying to teach our men how to better present a word of exhortation on Wednesday night, a five to seven minute talk. I give them very specific instructions. This is what I want. This is how the outline goes. This may not be your style. In fact, I'll pretty much guarantee it's not your style. It's not my style either, but this will give you a way to organize your thoughts and, and be in and out. And the younger people are a lot better than the older people. In my experience, the older people, they hear you say you can do better and they will say, no, I can't. They'll say, no, I can't because I am locked in my ways and I'm incapable of doing better. And they'll say, no, I can't because I'm already doing it the right way. And who are you to tell me what to do? And I don't know that either one of those attitudes is especially productive or accurate as far as that goes. And I don't always see it. I don't want to sound too cynical about this. But when I see that kind of pushback against instruction from brethren in terms of personal growth and all that kind of thing, I wonder how different it could possibly be when we get the instruction from Jesus directly and he's instructing us to grow and he's instructing us to do better. Isn't it necessarily implied that the attitude of resistance that we take toward our human leaders is going to be reflected in our attitude toward our divine leader also? First Timothy, second Timothy to me helps me understand the point that you're you're making. I always think about did, did the older women actually naturally go and talk to the younger women about uh, how to love your husbands and how to raise your children or why did Paul have to tell Timothy make sure that this is what's being taught and I think from my my perspective and what I've dealt with is very similar to yours. You, you the older people sometimes don't feel like they can learn or 
they feel like they just need to stay out of the way and allow the young people, if they have questions, they can come and ask. And, and it's, a, it's a total change to the point you're making about just being like Jesus. How did Jesus handle this? How did he talk to somebody that, that was a Gentile and, and Jairus, as an example? How was he able to talk to different people and how he handled those things? And, and what did he teach people? So the older people, you need to teach the younger people. People need to understand how that only happens if we're willing to take a step out of the comfort zone that we find ourselves in. And I think when you're talking to physically older people, sometimes the difficulty is they can be weaker in some of those areas where they're missing the point of being able to to grow. I think our perspective sometimes of I'm coming to retirement age bleeds into our spiritual age, you know, our spiritual life. And that's not where it goes. And what I have found is just um, just telling them. You got to just be point blank with them and just talk to them. We all have the opportunity to grow and, and continue to do that. And, and the scriptures instruct us to do things like this. And, and I think that's, at least for me, has been beneficial. And that's why I think so important about the preacher is what well, Timothy, when he's talking that or when he's been told it, that, that our job is just to gently correct. It's a lesson for all of us to to have patience even when people are pushing back, it can be a pretty difficult thing, though. Yeah, Scott, you said something there that's so simple that it can almost be missed, but it's the heart of what Paul is telling us in Ephesians 4. You said, just talk to people. I used to work in a, I had an ad agency. I, I, I had a lot of people that I managed that worked under me, and there'd be these conflicts or there'd be issues whether with each other or with clients. And I just say, have you talked about it? You know, don't send an email, don't leave it alone, but have you talked to each other? Have you just go in a room and be people together and talk? What Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, the way the body is built up is speaking the truth in love. And that's not just saying speaking the Bible in love. It's telling people the truth. And scripture is the heart of all spiritual truth, but we need to know what is real. What's real about what I need to change? What's real about how I'm doing well? What's real about what's going to be hard in my next steps as a Christian? You know, we have to tell the truth. And, you know, in a way, your question, how comes back to how to be a change agent, which is like this huge conversation and you have to be patient. You have to, it's like that Bill Murray movie, you know, baby steps to the car, baby steps to the door, baby step, you know, you take your baby steps and you do, you have to know that just like Jesus in his parables and a lot of his teaching was sort of giving breadcrumbs to the next step, to the next step. Some people you're leading very slowly. Other people are going to take leaps. And something that my wife and I have come to terms with is we can't make anybody hungry. We can make that what they need appetizing. We can tell them how much it's changing us. We can share with them. We can tell the truth about what they need, but we can't make them hungry. And so we want to keep making it available, what, what is needed to everyone. But then when we do find the hungry, man, we pour ourselves into them because they can't get enough. They're ready to change. They're ready to leap. And, and it's different people at different times. There's times in our lives when we are most ready to grow and to take steps into drawing near to the Lord so that he can draw near to us. That's where we find ourselves pouring our energy the most. Mm-hmm. 
You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.